Hello and welcome to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show, where we sit down and have conversations with interesting and inspiring legends about mindset, movement, nutrition and bringing more energy into your day. In today's episode, I get to catch up with my amazing sister Sonia, Sonia Forrest. And Sonia is a freelancer, digital marketer, project manager and graphic designer who is self-employed and mainly works from home. She works with small online businesses, entrepreneurs and public figures who are looking to grow their profile in the digital media space and landscape. Alright, so in this episode, what we chat about is how she transitioned from the corporate world to working at home, how she juggled getting married and having a honeymoon while ramping up her online business, how she structures structures her day to be the most productive she can be while still getting her movie and re-energizing. How she uses checklists and tasks to make sure she gets everything done that she needs to and create the real freedom that everyone craves, which is mental freedom. How she created an afternoon routine to switch off from the day and how busy parents can do the same. We also discuss Sonia's Hashimoto's disease and how she has changed the way she trains, eats and works to manage her stress. We talk about how Sonia regulates her training, which is the total opposite of the way I do it, where I use tech. She uses her own self-evaluation to see if she needs to go high intensity low intensity or medium intensity and we also talk about the one thing everyone can do to get out of this episode that will give real freedom into your life and allow you to show up to be the best version of you each day so i hope you enjoy this interview let's get into it all right welcome back to the move eat energize show guys and i'm here with my awesome sister sonia sonia say hello everybody and can you give them a bit of feel about who you are and what you do i have the privilege of being chris's older sister Um, (laughs) so i have all of the the goss and the dirt if anyone can message me i will dish it freely there's a lot of stories Um, (laughs) but um, i work as a freelance graphic designer and digital marketer and project manager so i wear a few hats and i'm self-employed full-time after successfully transitioning out of digital agencies um, a little while ago and been building up my client base since then. Um, And so a lot of the time I'm working with small entrepreneurs, small online business entrepreneurs, public figures who are looking to build their profile in the digital media landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of like you did it like, because there's a lot, there's a few people that listen who are probably wanting to start on like their own business and stuff and start doing stuff okay. online because they've asked me about it. You yeah. sort of did it the really smart way, unlike me. <laughs> you, <laughs> you went into it and you waited and built it up on the side project until you know yes. you, you changed over. It wasn't a massive hit financially because you live in the most expensive city in the world, I suppose. <laughs> Be lucky me. Um, <laughs> <but> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, being in kind of digital media, you end up sort of orientating around capital cities because that's where most of the work comes from. But yes, I did build up my freelance career on the side. So while I was in agencies, it didn't take long for me to transition from being a graphic designer, which was my original background, into project management. And that was a survival decision because as um, a graphic designer, I got made redundant from my very first job, which was a career that serviced a lot of US-based companies and shortly after 9-11, that company nearly folded. And during that um, transition, they basically made the entire creative team redundant. Through that experience, I watched as all of the project managers in that company 
had cushy, secure jobs and me as the mere designer got axed and I was like, I want to be on the safe side. So uh, the next job that I took was as a graphic um, designer slash project manager and I ended up transitioning completely to project management. But because my background was creative and project management is very much not really in that space (laughs) I continued to freelance over the years on and off for friends and family or people who asked me to do things there's a lot of websites logos business cards flyers party invitations whatever people needed and I um, did that for many years left Sydney for a while took a break in sales down in Canberra took a break um, working for a newspaper in Queensland ended up missing the career too much came back to Sydney um, and all the while like this is many years so I've been in digital media it's really scary to admit for about 20 years yeah and I only left it for two it's and pretty good for so- a 25 year old you started really <laughs> <laughs> that must make you 21 That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it was like a long time of doing creative stuff on the side. And then it was about 12 months before I went freelance full time that I seriously committed to that path and started really actively positioning myself as a freelancer and doing the work outside of a full time job. And so it meant doing work in the mornings before work. I would go in early, sit at a cafe and work for a couple of hours before I went to the agency. I would then knock off at the agency right on five, which was super hard to do, but I did as close as I could. Um, And then I would generally be doing social media management for clients and things on my phone on the way home. And then I would keep working into the night and I would work weekends. And I did this until I had enough clients on the side that my minimum expenses for the month were covered without my full-time job. And when I got to that point and I knew I couldn't take on any more clients without giving up my full-time job, I made the decision to transfer over, quit the job, go freelance full-time. And thankfully, because I have amazing clients, when I said to them, I now have more capacity for you, they smashed me with a ton of work. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of like just rolled on since then. So um, it was quite a long period of building up that skill to juggle freelance work on the side. And I will, just for your listeners benefit as well it was not the first time I've attempted to leave a corporate job it was actually my third time it's the first time it's worked (laughs) yeah so it takes a few goes so going on that what was the feelings you were going through when you decided that you were like hey this is the time I'm feeling confident I can do it full-time this time through how was your gut feeling at that stage Confidence probably wasn't in there. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was pretty terrified. Um, but I, I'm very independent. You know this about me personally, fiercely yeah. independent. I, I am married, but I put no burden on my husband and that's a personal choice. And that's something I am really strict on myself about. I don't know why I'm like this. I just am. So for me, um, what I knew was that I had my expenses covered Um, And I wouldn't have to lean on my amazing husband, Aiden, for financial support. Um, I could just carry on, keep doing the work. And if nothing else happened, I could still pay my bills. And then anything else new that came in from there, which I had a month of notice time to work out with the agency. So I had a month to kind of gear up a bit more work. 
um, was all going to be a bonus. And so, as I said, I was really lucky that um, once I told my clients I was giving up my job because a lot of them did know I was juggling a full-time job as well and that I was doing this full-time, the tidal wave of work came. <laughs> and um, yeah. After that, I was just kind of a, a deer in headlights. I was like, what is happening? Where, where is all this work coming from? And I was just head down. Um, bum up for for a long time for the first three months with solid work and um, also at the same time we got married and we took a honeymoon um, yeah. and so it was a tricky time as you probably remember. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I worked uh, during the time that we were away in New Zealand for the wedding and I worked in my honeymoon. Now that was again a personal choice because I had made that transition fairly recently into working full-time as a freelancer, I was reluctant to tell my clients so early on that I needed to have a month off. Um, so I pulled back on the hours. I kind of cut them all down. So I was only working sort of half days, but I still worked that entire time. And um, it worked out for the best because after we got back from the wedding and the honeymoon, I still had all my work coming in. I didn't have a dip in income because I'd stopped working uh, it all kind of soldiered on, which was quite good. But I was never confident. I feel like I was sort of jumping from decision to decision. I was pretty terrified. I would have highs and lows of days thinking this isn't going to work um, because I'd freak out that someone, a client was unhappy. It was always in my own mind. I'm very fortunate that I've yet to have an unhappy client. But um, I would just work really hard and do long days and work into the night and kind of did everything I could to keep the money coming in. I was very much just in survival mode. Yeah. And I think one thing that's super important that I reckon we should bring up again is like, even though you said like personal choice, you did the work at on your wedding and your honeymoon, you yeah. set it up in a way that was the first half of the day and then the rest of the day was kind of free. And then yeah. it was also because you enjoyed doing it. So it doesn't feel like it's work. It's sort of like, I like doing this. So you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So, and it's like, just from me looking in when we were in New Zealand for the wedding, you were super chilled, even though like you just <laughs> made all this stuff happen. You were really enjoying the, the week, week, was it week? Yeah, it was yeah. Week. Yeah. the week we were yeah. over there and the, everyone hanging out and just being in Queenstown. Like you couldn't even tell that you were working if someone did not know that you were doing it, which is really important, I guess, in the sense, like if you're enjoying what you're doing and you're, doing this stuff online and doing it at home like you are, mm. it can be really easy to manage it all. There's yeah. a lot of people sort of freak out that I get up at 4 a.m. to do my work before 6, but I actually really enjoy getting up at 4, doing everything I can before 6, and then I just hang with Theo all day. Yes, I'm similar to you that my most productive hours are in the morning. So when, in particular, so our honeymoon was in Europe, and the great thing about that was obviously jet lag. Now, it was <laughs> yeah. great. Because it meant I was naturally waking up at like two, three o'clock in the morning, wide awake. And so I would go just slip out of bed, not to wake Aiden, grab my laptop, go sit at the desk. And I knew that I could get a good like four to five hours done before he woke up. And because I was completely wired from jet lag, yeah. that, that wasn't a problem. And so I would get heaps of work done. He would wake up. We'd have a great breakfast. We'd go for a wander around town and sightsee and play tourists till about lunchtime. And usually when you're on holidays, you've probably found this as well. If you're out and about and exploring a place, you can't really do it all day. It's really tiring. So yeah. you kind of need to have a break. And we would do like, as I said, 
half the day and then I would come back. I would check if anything urgent had come up um, around midday and then I would either choose to work then or I'd hold off till later on the day. But we would kind of have a cruisy afternoon. We'd do a bit of work here and there. We'd go have dinner and then I'd wrap it up at the night with an hour or two before going to bed. And over the space of a day, I was easily still getting close to eight hours complete work done. Um, so carrying a full workload, but while we were honeymooning in Paris and Aiden still says to this day, like he doesn't look at the honeymoon and, and remember me working that much. And a lot of it was because it happened early in the morning. And that was the same strategy we took in New Zealand with the wedding. I would get it done early in the morning or late at night and leave the day free to play tourist and hang out with all the family that were there. So it's just about structuring that time. And I'm somebody who doesn't like to leave things to the last minute and I don't really enjoy working super late at night. I love to know that I can get it done in the morning like you get up early, get it done and then enjoy the rest of my day and not have to worry about it. And I'm a notorious to-do list maker. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> and so I'm like obsessing about like, I've got to tick off my list. But it like, <laughs> it really works for me. So if I'm clear, like I set the day and go, okay, I'm clear on everything I need to complete today. This is the high priority stuff. This can wait till later in the day. And I'm just working through the list. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to lose time thinking about what do I do next because I'm juggling multiple clients and just need to keep going. Um, it also gives you a great sense that before the day's even started for everybody else, you're already kicking the day off with this huge sense of achievement and accomplishment of I'm already winning at life. So whatever comes now is just a bonus. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like you and I are like amazing conversationalists before midday. And then... <laughs> After midday, and then it stops. It's like it peaks <laughs> out and then starts coming down, and then by probably eight o'clock, we just stare at people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that may be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like what people could take out of that is like finding that power hour for you. So for Cat, her actual power hour is nighttime. So she's mm-hmm. really good in the afternoon and night to want to do things. While I'm just a a sack of potatoes on the couch usually by about six, seven o'clock. So yeah. finding that thing that works for you, especially when you're doing this stuff at home is really cool because it makes this whole thing easier. So, yes. and like Tim Ferriss and all nearly every single guru always talks about finding your, your power hour or power, whatever they say, I can't remember the term they use, but that time when you're most productive and yeah, I can get, what feels like four hours of work in the afternoon, I can get done in one hour in the morning, which is sort of the same yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Aiden's like cat. Um, my husband is really happy to work really late into the night. He's he will do all nighters, and I will just look at him like you're an alien from outer space. I cannot do that. <laughs> yeah. um, but he won't start till nine o'clock, and he'll keep going well towards midnight, one two o'clock in the morning, and he gets heaps done, and it's his most productive time. And I'm asleep. So. <laughs> yeah. And like, if you think about like he matches up with like what Tim Ferriss does, Tim Ferriss writes all these books between the hours of 10 and three in the morning mm-hmm. and he just has yeah. a movie going in the background and then bangs it away. So it's sort of, yeah, whatever works for you. It's like, like obviously the way we talk about on the show is like move, eat, re-energize. It's probably yeah. doing the late night, early mornings is sometimes class is not healthy, but if you, mm finding the thing that works and like for you you go to sleep early depending yeah. on your work stuff same as yeah. me as long as you get those seven eight hours it still kind of works anyway so 
we're going with the checklist things you just said and like tasks and stuff. Mm. We've got a lot of parents that listen in. So I think talking about the fact like how, I don't know if you get this as well, but when people sort of see how we design our days around checklists and tasks and things like that, that they think it's like a, uh, taking away their freedom. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I sort of think it like gives me freedom because I know that I've got the things all in my list that I need to do, even mm. when we're juggling Theo, but it allows my brain to be freed up to do more exciting things. Do you sort of think the same? I absolutely do. Freedom for me is a, a huge driver in my life it's actually like one of my core needs like I've done a lot of personal development work and I think it's actually part of my purpose in some way I know I know it is like if I have any sense of restriction in my life like things to start to shut down or it triggers a rebellious nature in me so I obviously wouldn't use the to-do lists or this kind of the time management techniques that I use or the planning that I use if it started to cramp that sense of freedom and that's why I went into freelancing full-time is it gives me a sense of freedom that working in the corporate jobs never gave me I do have control over the clients I work with and the type of work I do now when I had a full-time job I never had that luxury um, but having the the lists and planning out what I need to do and prioritizing it gives me the freedom to not have to think about it for starters yeah um, but <laughs> yeah. also to know like I'm getting everything done that needs to be done my biggest stress as a freelancer juggling multiple clients is making sure I get everything done and keeping my clients happy because I'm completely reliant on clients continuing to give me work. And to do that, I need to deliver when I say I'm going to and of a high quality. Now with a lot of clients, there's a lot of bits and pieces flying around, a lot of conversations that have had emails. I cannot keep all of that in my head. Um, because there's a high chance I'm going to forget something. So I use Asana, um, for tracking all of my tasks, but on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a piece of paper. It's often like writing down all the personal stuff and the work stuff and when I'm going to get some movement in um, and then structuring the day around that. And we've also, and I know you're really big on this, we've created routines in our life that make some of that automatic so we don't have to think about it anymore. Um, for example, we, we have two rescue greyhounds, as you know, Two very large yes. dogs. Um, are extremely spoiled. <laughs> but oh yeah, they're, they're humans. They are humans. <laughs> they're, res they're rescue dogs. They need more love. But um, <laughs> but um, they require movement in their day because of the nature of their breed. So they're quite a sedate breed. They do sleep a lot, but they have moments of activity. And one of them is a little heavier, so he sleeps more than he should. But we've structured our day to make sure every night they get walked around the same time. And that is also our way of closing out the day. So even though um, we may be working right up to that point, I know that when I take the dogs out for their hour walk in the evening, that's the end of my working day. That's like the line. And it also gets my body ready to know that when I come back from that walk, I start to get ready for bed. Like I have a shower, I read a book and then I'm off to bed and it sets up the whole routine. For Aiden, he may choose to keep, working afterwards but it's become a, a habit and it's something that we just do naturally we don't even think about it and the dogs you've seen them <laughs> once it gets near their walk yeah. time they start looking at us the dogs are very routine based and um they're like it's walk time let's go and so that's taken that whole like evening routine off the table we don't have to think about it anymore and we set our mornings up to be quite similar we were going to the gym 
um, every day at the same time. And the gym is walking distance from our house, which gave us a little bit more exercise as well. And we created a whole morning routine to allow us to do that without thinking too much um, and keeping it fairly automatic. So again, was taking it off the to-do list. I don't need to write that stuff down anymore. It just happens. Yeah. And I think like in the sense of say like the new parents out there listening is like, it might sound like, Oh, Sonia's got all this flexibility. She doesn't have kids and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Well, yes, but it's still kind (laughs) of the thing where (laughs) you're setting these, like, especially like, I really like that. Um, afternoon routine where in the sense if you're a parent you got to you the afternoon's like crazy hour when you're trying to get them fed showered cleaned and to bed and then having that thing where you get them to bed and then like you guys go for that walk even if you can't get out of the house because you might be a single parent still having something that you do after you get them to bed that is enough to sort of take your mind away from what's been going on during the day and you can start unwinding and flick that switch to you having downtime before you go to sleep, which is super cool because then you'll be able to get into a deeper sleep instead of getting sucked into the latest series on Netflix and watching it till midnight. <laughs> and but sometimes that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I totally agree. I'll put my hand up and say, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sucked into MasterChef at the moment, so I'm losing like an hour extra Master sleep. MasterChef, really? Listen, listen to it on mute. And just watch the food. <laughs> but, okay, um, I'll, stop, I'll stop judging. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the morning routine, this has actually helped for one of my um, clients at the moment too, is like as soon as two of them, as soon as you wake up, you're doing something first thing in the morning that's going to win the day, which for you guys is for you guys or both of you know is like the movement part is probably the most important part of your day to have a good day. So you guys mm. planned it into your morning. You do it every single day. And it's not like they go and flog themselves in the gym every single day. It's balanced between what they need to do, which we'll talk about in a sec. But parents can do the same. They can do it in-house where they can get up and just do a five-minute thing every morning to start. And it could be just like two exercises back-to-back. And for one of the clients, she just does to, um, every time she goes in the bedroom or leaves the bedroom, it's 10 squats. Yeah, And just stuff yeah. like that. Like These are things in your control that can win the day and – on your mindset makes a huge difference. Yes. And I know like we would be at the gym for when the gym opens in the morning, which was five 30 and we would see the same group of people there every day. And there was a large group of them that was local dads. So literally about 15 of them and they're in, they've created their own kind of blokey swim club because there's also an aquatic center at the gym. And I would hear their conversations and what they were essentially doing is they were going to get their workouts done in the morning at that time. And the wife was home with the kids probably still in bed. And then the ladies would work out later in the day when the men were available to look after the kids. So it could also be um, a decision with your husband or wife that says, um, okay, if if you want to go in the morning, because that's your go time. um, And that's when you're most productive and when you want to work out then I'm going to go in the evening because I'm a, a night owl, but it means the other one can to look after the kids and keep things moving. Yeah. And it just makes so much sense. And then, mm. all right. So in saying that, how powerful is this morning workout for you in your workday? It makes a huge difference. If I don't um, do some form of movement in the mornings, um, like whether it was, and so the gym, we would rotate between, weights and cardio 
or on some days if we couldn't get to the gym because the weather was atrocious and we didn't want to walk there in the rain, I would do yoga or bodyweight stuff at home. I really notice during the day if I haven't done it. Firstly, my mood is a little bit lower like because you get that lovely endorphin rush after a workout sometimes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I would also sleep better. Um, I generally eat better because I've started the day well, particularly if the day started with yoga. I find yoga in the morning actually drastically changes my decisions throughout the day. Um, and then I would just also have that chance to connect with Aiden. Um, so we would have the opportunity to walk to the gym together. We work out and we would do our own thing at the gym, but then we walk back and it's about 10 minutes each way. And it's just quiet. And it's just him and I walking along, chatting about whatever's happening during the day. So that was a really nice chance just to connect for us before we'd head off and have the rest of our busy day. And we would then feel that sense of accomplishment that you talked about. Like before, a lot of people have even gotten out of bed. We've already got our workout done. Like that's kind of a big tick for the day. If we did nothing else, we can at least be grateful we got that done and we helped our bodies in that way. Yeah, and especially since like, Oh, Aiden's the same, but you're both your jobs are desk bound. You're stuck yes. pretty much at the desk. So say you've done, you've gotten up, done your workout. How, like, what's your work day like? So I'm pretty structured in how I handle my work day. Um, and I generally spend some time on Sunday night also looking ahead. I do have clients now who require some on-site time. So there is a couple of days where I'm away from the home for work. But the days that I am here, um, as I said, we work out first thing in the morning. So we're usually back at the house by 10 past six, jump in the shower and I get dressed um, and Aiden gets ready for work and he heads off. He's gone by 6.30. And so for me, then I usually kind of make a coffee. I'm an almond milk drinker. So have an almond latte or something along those lines, pop upstairs, check the emails and just make sure nothing um, unexpected has come in overnight or anything urgent that would change my priorities. And then go back downstairs, usually make myself something small for breakfast. Um, and it can be anything really. It could be a smoothie. could be uh, at the moment I'm super digging like oats, super digging them. Um, oh, really? So cold. They're so <laughs> good. Um, and so by then as well, like I've, we were talking about this before, I've got the heater on in the office, like warming the office yeah. up. Um, one of the dogs in particular will move herself from her bed back up to the office. She knows my routine, like she has to be where I am. And then kind of my day sort of officially starts online at seven and I will work through quite heavily till I get like quite a lot done between seven and 10, 30, 11 o'clock. That's my most productive time. And that's when I'll try and knock off any copywriting, um, any creative tasks or anything that's strategic and needs me to have like quite a strong mindset and I'll leave some of the more automated simpler tasks till later in the day when I know my cognition is not functioning as strongly. Um, I usually have a break mid-morning, work through till about lunch. If time allows and there's not too much work happening, I'll go for a walk down to the local cafe and grab a coffee just to stretch the legs. That's about a 30-minute walk. Um, come back, keep walking, working till about 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon then I'll take another break um, and I start to kind of do things around the house. Like um, also just because it gives me a bit of movement, I'll put a load of washing on or I'll tidy up the house or I'll play with the dogs outside. Um, at the moment we've got leaves all over our yard because of autumn. So I might do some raking 
And then Aiden's usually home around 5, 5.30. We have dinner. And if we're going to keep working, we'll do that after dinner up until when we walk the dogs, which is about 8.30, 9 o'clock. Yeah, that's awesome. It's such a cool, like such a well-structured day. It's kind of, I don't know if you, have you read Deep Work, that book? No, I haven't. So you're pretty much done. Exactly. You don't need to read it. You're done doing it anyway. <laughs> the, the, his theory is, is like you got deep work and shallow work. You put all your deep work, which like you said, is all your creative and high mental tasks in a certain period of the day where you can, which we've already talked about, which is the morning for you. And then you put all your shallow work, like social media, checking your threads and like making sure those things are like analytical stuff, which that yeah. can be deep work too, I guess. But and then like your housework and all that kind of stuff into the part of the day where you, your mental fatigue's kicked in, but this stuff doesn't take a lot of mental effort to do. So yeah, you're yeah. laying your day out like that is super cool. And it's kind of, kind of the same as what I do as being the stay at home dad, even with Theo's stuff, the high mm. mental tasks with Theo, like doing drawing things with him or, I know it sounds really bad, but reading. <laughs> I was like, yeah, drawing yeah, an <laughs> 18 month year old drawing circles on a piece of paper. Like, this is so mentally draining. <laughs> but the stuff where I know he's really full, like, full on and clingy, I try and do mm. stuff at home and just do like yeah. the stuff that's developmental stuff. And then yeah. moving the, going to the park is in all those kinds of things, which is like, everything else is stimulating for him. So I don't have to really be focused in the yeah. afternoon when my brain's just decides to switch off. So it's the yeah. same kind of thing. I think it's really good. That's why this conversation is really cool. Cause you can take what you're saying and use it in nearly every scenario that people have that come up. It's really interesting. Awesome. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. All right. So if you're happy to talk about it, let's talk about yeah. the, the food stuff. Like you have to eat in a certain way because you have a certain health issue. You don't have to say what it is, but there's a certain way you eat because yeah. you found out something eventually, eventually they figured it out, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Made more sense once we knew what it was. Yes. Do you want to talk about how you juggle your food and, and keep yourself energetic and mental clarity for the day as well? Sure. And I will, um, I'm really happy to talk about it. So I have an autoimmune um, health issue so very early diagnosis of Hashimoto's but one fortunately I was able to catch it quite early on that they're fairly confident it could be undone but two it was also just the end result of a lot of things that had happened over years that I had chosen to ignore related to being in my career um stress being (laughs) so um with Hashimoto's being a disease that reacts to inflammatory foods. The first thing that when you see a functional medicine doctor or a natural therapist, which is what I chose to do when I saw a naturopath, is they will remove the inflammatory foods from your diet. So obviously gluten is top of the list, shortly followed by sugar, dairy, alcohol. Um, And what they're trying to do is give your body a chance to recalibrate on its own and see if it can then start to heal. I mean, we're very fortunate that the human body has such a great ability to heal. And I do have, and I have seen so many examples of people that I know that have been um, diagnosed with these sort of stress-related conditions that have been able to reverse it. And so I was very confident that I could um, make some decisions and change it now. Just to add some context, I found out all of this while I was very much in the thick of a 
um, fairly senior project management role with an agency and I was responsible for a large scale of work with one particular client. Now, the challenge was no matter what I was doing, the stress from my job was making it redundant. So this was also what prompted me to leave agency world and go freelance full time was because I was making all these lifestyle changes and it was having no result. And the naturopath kept saying it's because you, you haven't been able to control your work situation to the point where it's lowering the stress enough. So you need to have a think about that. And that was also why I left. Um, so from a food perspective, cutting out gluten, dairy, sugar, that's things that I have done on and off in the past. So yeah. I did have the advantage that it wasn't that brutal. I know that some people get this information for the first time and they're like, OMG, what am I left eating? Yeah. Yeah. And it does feel like that. Like I do remember feeling like that. And there's days where it does feel like that, but we're really fortunate now that because there's so much more awareness and so many more people who have intolerances in modern society that we have such an abundance of options available um, that fulfill all of that criteria, even when you're eating out. You just need to be a little bit more aware of it and like any new change, yes, it will feel really weird initially. It's the same as when you try to get into the routine of going to the gym. The first week, it sucks. The second week, it gets a little easier. And it's the same with making a dietary change. The first week will be tough because you feel like you're having to be way more conscious about everything and it feels difficult. Um, but then the more that you do it, like one meal after a time, it gets easier and easier. So I just kept at it. And for me, obviously, with the health um condition behind it it was a fairly strong motivator and I was really fortunate that my husband was happy to align to the same diet he's really fine he jokes around about being like paleo and keto without knowing what the hell it is <laughs> <laughs> and so he will just like announce somewhere he's like I'm keto while he's like I don't know having toast I'm like no he's not <laughs> so he um will go with whatever because he at the end of the day he just says he is happy as long as he feels good and his body doesn't care what it's called, what I'm telling him it is. I do um, about probably 75% of the meal prep in our house and he does some and he'll just keep it to simple meat with vegetables. Um, we go light on the grains, but it's been fairly easy for us because we did have that background, but um, we've also been doing it for a while. So we don't have to think about it too much now. Yeah, it's cool. It's really good point you brought up about how, you were working in a really stressful job. And like we talk about the stress cup all the time with the CJ rubric in the sense that all this stress goes into the same cup, which the cup is you. So it's like work stress, life stress, training stress, food stress, which in your case, once you found out you were able to correct it, but there was some food cho choices that were making the Hashimoto's worse or just bringing it on. And that's causing yeah. a food stress. And then you got like sleep stress, all those things fit in that cup. And like you said, you hit all these lifestyle um, goals of changing it to get this thing to start working on it. And even still the work stress was that high. It was still kind of overflowing your cup and causing that um, autoimmune issue, which is a massive point to get across to, I reckon a lot of people is that all this stress isn't separate. It's all mm. works together. So if you have a high stress job and you do high stress training and you eat like a really shitty diet and the reason why you're doing the high stress training is because you're trying to overcome the shitty diet you got that's going to mm. catch up eventually yeah and that's exactly what i i learned because that was what i had done for many years um i felt that well i thought that the only way to stay active was to 
push and push and push and do really high intensity workouts or really tough um, kind of training circuits. I'm, I've done many rounds of boot camp. I've had really intense trainers. Um, I've had like old style boot camp where there's a guy in an army uniform telling me to run through the mud. Like I've done very, um, as you know, a lot of running events, which um, required a fair bit of pushing because uh, they were long distance, like half marathons. And that also all contributed and meant that I was putting more and more strain on my body and adding more stress. It wasn't movement in the sense that it was giving me any benefit um, in the terms of what I was wanting. It was actually causing things to be worse. So part of the transition I had to make when I found out about the health stuff was aside from removing work stress, I actually had to change all my workouts and I had to go about things a little differently. And I had to shift from doing high intensity, push, push, push um, to backing it off and doing things that for a long time felt like I, I wasn't doing it right. Like I was so used to working really hard in a gym um, and doing stuff to time and the most number of reps to time and doing that every day um, to tone that down to maybe like once a week and having the other stuff is like, I still do weights and things, but it's not at such a pace or such an intensity. Um, and then even changing the cardio to being like less about flogging myself to the point of exhaustion, but doing more kind of cross trainers that are a little bit gentler on the body or rowing or cycling that's a little bit gentler or just longer walks. Um, for a long time felt like really wrong. Like I'm doing workouts wrong. Like this isn't what you see in the movies. This isn't <laughs> what you're meant to do when you're at the gym. Like I'm not working hard enough. Look at that person over there sweating. I'm not even sweating. Yeah, it's um, like, this isn't a montage. What's going on? <laughs> and um, where's my Rocky moment? <laughs> Um, but at the end of the day, it did make me feel better. Like I was still getting my movement in. And for me, that's really important just because of my personality. I have to stay active or I get cranky. Um, but, and I was doing it at a different level of intensity that actually made it more restorative to my body. And I, my fitness stayed the same. So I did a half marathon many years ago where I trained like that. And then I did a half marathon, as you know, only about two months ago. Yeah. Um, with a much lower level of intensity training. And the diff main difference was the first time around, I seriously hurt my knee and had to stop running entirely for a year. Um, second time around, I did it 15 minutes faster. I recovered quicker and I didn't hurt myself in any way. And it's kind of, it's super cool because it's like, it's not sexy. This stuff is really hard to sell in the sense where you say like, instead of, working out you're working in and working with your body and that means yeah. there might be depending on whatever else is going on in your life which we call like that red light yellow light green light lifestyle yeah. position you like it could be like you said at first for you it was like that one medium to high intensity workout and then the rest were all working in so you had one workout and the rest is working in to get that balance right and then over time you can you'll find that you can add more or not. And then depending on what's going on in your life, you might not even be able to do a high intensity session. It's all got to be low. And mm. I was, I was the same as you in the sense, like when I gave up drinking, I ch like tried to chase away my demons by training super, super hard because I got the endorphin rush. And yeah. I was doing like two hour workouts a day and all the same stuff. It was like, it felt like it was working really well because you're in that adrenaline surge, mm. I guess, where you're always feeling super pumped, but you don't know the difference. It's just yes. always high. 
So you actually don't know what it feels like to actually be recovered and feeling good. Yes. Just basically banging at the wall, banging your head against the wall the whole time. And what, and it's funny too, because I was a PT too and knew that you need to recover to get that um, super compensation where you come back fitter for whatever it is you're doing. Mm. But we both did the same thing where we just, yeah, pushed so hard and got injuries or whatever ever happened for me was like I just got burnt out and fell asleep in the mm. car and it spun out mm. and luckily it didn't hit anything but the same sort of thing your body just will put a break on you in some way and like when you think about like running and stuff it's mm. a natural thing that we should be able to do but if we do it so much that we get injured there's obviously a red flag there going well, either your technique could be out, but most of the time the technique goes when you push really hard and you push really hard for a long time. So it was a good sort of, I guess this whole, as much as the Hashimoto is coming in, it's been like a, an amazing wake-up call in a sense. Would you say that? Definitely. I think for a long time, like a lot of people do in their 20s, you feel a bit immortal. You think <laughs> yeah. you can get away with it. And um, I had had all of the the flags, like all of the warnings. I'd had insomnia on and off, um, particularly when I was at a very big agency managing a very big brand that everybody knows that I won't reveal. Yeah, um, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wasn't days sleeping. or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. And adrenal fatigue came and um, insomnia came. And so I was getting all of these warnings on my body was saying like, hey, hello, like this is not sustainable and you think this is not having an impact. It is. And we're trying to tell you it is. And I just kept going or I'd back it off for a little while enough for the symptom to go away. And then I would gear it up again. And I think for you and me, um, it's very easy for us to get into that state of push. Like, we um, have always been, even as children, you and I worked hard. Like we were never, yeah. um, and I don't mean to speak on your behalf, but I was never naturally academically inclined and I would have to work really hard to get my marks up. And same with sport. Um, I was never like a great athlete. I was okay, but to be good, I would have to work hard. Yeah. And so we kind of learned that from a very young age Um to we had to push if we wanted to achieve things and um, some may say that's a great life skill to have I mean it is because it allows us to achieve a lot more than others would potentially do in the same amount of time but we have to balance it out and the balancing like having that restorative time like you said was really not something we were educated about not something we knew about and we kind of had to learn it the hard way when our bodies both of us in our 20s were saying stop it um, and if you don't back it off, we're going to make you stop whether you want us to or not. And so over time, after <laughs> a few failed attempts of adjusting, I would do it for an hour, uh, now and then I would go and explore yoga for a few months and I would still end up back um, doing the hustle and the push and the go hard or go home. Um, and then I would be like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. And then I'd go back to like... <laughs> yeah. like back to the restorative approach more and trying to find the balance. And it's, it's a bit of trial and error, similar to what I said about freelancing. It's trial and error. We didn't just wake up one day and have all the answers. Um, yeah. We've tried different things, paid attention to what worked, tried again, made adjustments and just keep trying, just keep making adjustments. And I don't think what works for me now will work for me in 10 years time. It's going to be an ongoing journey. And the thing is really cool 
about how you figured it out. So this, this would be a good thing because we'll talk about how you figured it out and how I've done a different version of it. But you're really good at self-regulating and listening to your body now in the sense with your training and the running. And you, when we, I was talking to you about when this all sort of come about and you're like, I'm going to yeah. do this running stuff. And I'm like, what about doing a heart rate monitor so you can keep yourself in the zones? And you're like, nah. <laughs> I'm just gonna, just gonna self-regulate, and it worked. Like the self-regulation worked awesomely, and then I, and then I, um, and you're like the polar opposite. Yeah, I'm like the, the data-driven. Like, give me the numbers. This is I'll give me all the things. Yeah, I like all the apps. I need ten apps to go for this run. Um, so I use Morpheus, which is the new one, which is gives me that recovery score every day, and that keeps me. And then I use that to train and changes. So your so the, the idea what I'm trying to get across is you self regulate by staying in your training zone by how you feel, which is the super super awesome high level skill. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel when I like gauging my training because I still go to really high intensity training when I'm super stressed just to switch my brain off. Yeah. So I yeah. use Morpheus to keep myself in the zone in the sense that I still like do these things that we enjoy, which is those high intensity circuits, but. Morpheus brings it me down from high intensity into medium or low. I can still do the same thing, but I change how hard I do it so I don't overcook myself. And you'll talk. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you self-regulate? Because it's really it's a super good skill to have. Um, I will reveal that there there is a little bit of a devious method to my madness. So, um, being related, we do have. Uh, similar triggers. So for you, data <laughs> triggers you to either regulate or amp up. Yep. And I found for me, having data meant I only amped up. So I actually had to consciously stop using it because it was putting my mindset into chase the numbers, do the things faster, do it harder all the time. I couldn't not do it. And so I stopped using the technology to take a conscious step away from that. But with the self-regulation, that's come from actually slipping into different styles of movement and um, seeing how that felt. So I had done, as you know, I've been certified in the past um, as a modality called NIA, which is a combination of yoga, martial arts and dance. And that's all around restoration and healing. I've been doing yoga on and off for maybe six years now. Um, I've done dancing on and off. I'm very fortunate. My husband is an ex-Latin ballroom dancer. Super sexy, FYI. Yeah. Can dance. Can dance. Hello. Um, <laughs> and now he's my husband. So <laughs> obviously yeah. winning. Um, but um, so there was a lot of moments where intuitively I knew I needed to balance out somehow. So I would step away from the the long running or the hard gym sessions and try this other thing. And then I actually always loved it. Like, like you generally, if we're moving, we kind of love it. It yeah. doesn't matter too much what it is. Like we love the low intensity stuff as much as we love the high intensity stuff just for different reasons. Um, it's kind of an opportunity just to try something new and see if the body responds in a different way. So through trying those things, I started to feel a different sensation and understand, oh, okay, like I can do 30 minutes of yoga and feel just as good as if I did 30 minutes at the gym. That's interesting. And then I would just keep playing with that. And then over time, I 
found the activities that I really loved and would keep them in my life and let go of the ones that I loved a little less. So it was just trial and error. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And like, like <laughs> the data-driven stuff like we're talking about. So the cool thing that I like about the Morpheus app is when I do that, the low intensity or that working in, it, I do the workout and then I sit, hit save and does all the calculations and it shoots me back as like I have a recovery score every day. It actually increases my recovery score for that day. So it gives me, yeah, it gives me like that. Yay, thumbs up, high five, which is super silly. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a Facebook <laughs> like. It's like, it yeah, works. you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. You're like, I am so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, take photos, put it on Instagram, hashtag Morpheus goals. <laughs> yep. You do. No. Yeah, I mean, I do. You're pretending that you're joking. But yeah, I know. If I laugh, people don't believe me. <laughs> um all right so just so before we wrap it up mm. i guess if you were going to say to somebody how could they what would be the one thing that they could do to their life to make it easier to give them more freedom to give them more mental clarity what would it be spend some time the night before planning your next day it has been the one go-to thing that takes away stress it gives me clarity, certainty, make sure I hit my high priority goals, particularly for my health, is to think about it the night before. Um, we could get into a whole separate discussion around decision fatigue. And I strongly believe that that happens to every person every day. And by planning out the key things that you're going to do and when you're going to do them. So don't just make a list. You need to assign when you will do it. it means the next day, you just get it done. Like you don't have to think about, oh, if I work out in the morning, I don't have to do it at night or maybe I'll do it at 10. And, and like it's don't overcomplicate it, plan it, write it down, turn up the next day and just keep doing that. Yeah. And I think I get in the same way, like parents would be looking at this and go, that's really hard to do as a parent. And the, mm. which I agree with, because I used to be like to the 15 minute planned every day before mm -hmm. they come. And then when they come, that obviously changed everything. <laughs> well, it went out the window. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm still going to do this. I'm so doing this when Theo comes. And it was like one month in. Holy shit, what's happened? That, um, you could plan that it's tied more to their behavior then, which I think you may have done when Theo was little. You could do yeah. not so much time-based. So it doesn't have to be like a set hour of the day. It could be when an event happens. So Yes, if, this is what I was going to um, get to. This is good. Yeah. If they're asleep. That's when you do it type thing. Yeah. And like I had to find, it took me a while to figure out, but I was like, what is the regular thing that he does? That is like nearly by clockwork and that is eating. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much like me. He's like his dad. <laughs> yeah. so I made, so we, the way we do it in the coaching group is we call them time sprints. And the time sprints for me is when, from me waking up, to when he wakes up and that's his first meal. And then it's from his first, next, that meal to the next meal, to the next meal, to the next meal. And then the way I plan my day, I do now, I cut it down and do the three most important things for each category. So health, work, relationships, all that kind of stuff. So it ends up being, sounds a lot. It ends up being 12 things in a day, but most of the things are like five minute tasks. And I chunk them down in between the time sprints. So, each sprint's like three hours between meals roughly for him. But that's like my loose but also structured planning for the day. So I'm like, 
I know I've got to move. So I move first thing in the morning. So I win the day with like a five to 10 minute workout. And then I try and get another one in later in the day if I can, especially with Spartan. But for busy parents, it's not about being that you can't be uber structured. You can, especially if you're at home, is like having chunking your day into blocks and getting things yeah. done in a block. You got that whole block to get it done. If you don't get it done in that block, try the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's I like, think it- it's super important to also every now and then like life happens and to not let that completely derail it. So if you said like you were going to do it when your child's eating or sleeping, um, but maybe it doesn't happen because someone calls you on the phone, that's okay. Do it the next time. Don't use that as an opportunity to never try again. Yeah. Then that's that being like that whole planning for freedom thing. You have the plan to get freedom and then if shit happens, it happens. You still got the plan to get back on track straight away. So much better. Like with the, like you said, the decision fatigue and mental fatigue and all that kind of stuff takes Mm -hmm. away the more decisions you make, the harder it gets through the day. So if you get this stuff, even if you get it loosely at first and start doing little bits, like just the morning only and things like that, you will start noticing stuff straight away. And Mm -hmm. everyone ends up starts doing it. They like, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is life changing. And like everything that's really good, you stop doing it and yeah. you forget. And then you still yeah. like, what have I, what's, what, why am I all like all over the shop again? What's happened? And then you go, oh, I'm not doing the shit that works, which is getting organized, getting planned and making it simple for yourself to do it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So if people wanted to get a hold of you or find out more about you and follow what you do, how do they find you? Sonyaforest.com. Sonyaforest.com. It's pretty straightforward. Double R, everybody out there. We're not trees. <laughs> we are. Well, well, we're we the are. cool ones. Yeah, we are. This is the big and, and if you want to make Forrest Gump jokes, like now's the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've never heard them before. It's totally <laughs> <right>. new. <laughs> Every time. It's so new. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're so funny. You're so unique. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard but a yeah. joke before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my website is there. Uh, if anyone has questions, uh, being quite similar to Chris, who's a qualified trainer, I'm a qualified health coach, but I don't practice, but I'm really happy to give away information <laughs> um, and share that with anyone if you have questions. But um, yeah, you can get a hold of me on my website. I have a Facebook page, Instagram. I don't do selfies like Chris. Um <laughs> Because mine are heavily curated. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's it. Thanks again for listening to the Move, Eat and Re-Energize podcast show. If you like what you're getting, like what you're hearing, can you please share it on social media? Like like and subscribe us on iTunes and just help us get it out to the world because the more you share it, the more people we can connect with and help move, eat and re-energize more. All right, so there's three ways you can start working with the CJ rubric. One, you can get our big three for fat loss infographic and a seven-day video course to help you implement it over on the website. Two, you can get our free 30-minute coaching call, which is called Give Me 5, Get 25. For five minutes, I ask you questions just for research for me to make sure I'm putting out content that's helpful. And you get 25 minutes to ask me any questions you like and we can design a blueprint from you to get from where you are now to the goal to where you want to be, which is strong, lean and awesome. And number three, you can do private coaching with us, which is one-on-one. You do have a group support group, but it's all individual coaching suited to you and whatever your goal is. So 
jump on the website and check it out so you can see what you can do with the CJ rubric. Thanks again for listening, guys.